uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for all the people that's listening and chiming in. You didn't have to do it, but you did it anyway. So I appreciate you doing that. Hopefully that way, if we can learn how to agree to disagree, and we can live like people. When I make the hard topics, I say the hard things, I make the thing itch scratch. So if your itch is not scratching, and you're scratching on the itch, maybe you need to look yourself in the mirror. So I'm not here for no drama. I'm not here for no nothing. Just to learn, 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 and edify. This is from learning situations only. So I'm not here to get anybody's hairs up. So, again, thank you. And hopefully we can agree to disagree. military coups and military juntas that have taken control, like in Burkina Faso, for example. But Russia has a lot of ties to these nations like uh, like Burkina Faso, Guinea, uh, Mali, and of course, the new government in Niger. And Niger is now talking about bringing in Wagner forces all throughout the country. That was just reported on a few hours ago. They had a meeting in Mali yesterday. Do you foresee the even a possibility of something unraveling there, like widespread fighting and, and uh, war taking place between Western and you know Russian-backed powers in West Africa? Well, most of Africa, tragically, is not a, a, a great place to live. It's very sad. And uh, when they first created this thing called Africa Command, I was still on active duty. And I had the misfortune to open my big mouth in a room full of generals and others and say, what the hell are we calling this place Africa Com for? Africa Command, are you crazy? If you were an African, what would you think about the United States if it created a military organization called Africa Command? I said, I'd be offended. So whatever you do, don't call it Africa Command. Well, obviously I had a big impact. I was invited to leave and I was not invited back to any more of those meetings. Look, Africa is a, is a difficult place. The French portions that you're talking about in Northwest Africa have been called Afrique du Nord. This is a famous area that the French have dominated uh, in imperial times, and they've dominated it since then, certainly in many ways, linguistically and culturally. The problem is that the Africans resent it. They've never felt as though they were given a square deal when it came to independence from France, because the French stipulated in, in all of the agreements, certain French interests had to be protected and receive special treatment. And the French army is renowned for going wherever French interests are at stake, business interests, you know, and the Africans are, are fed up with it. 
And so this is an example in Niger where a, a supposedly U.S.-backed government with a U.S.-trained military suddenly turned around and said, I think all of you white people need to get out of here. We've had it with you. Go away. Go, Europeans leave. Uh, the Russians, you know, haven't done business that way. The Russians, in fact, Putin recently forgave $23 billion of debt owed to Russia by many of these countries in sub-Saharan and some of Saharan Africa. I mean, it was never going to be paid back. You had a much better shot of profiting if you just forgave it, you know, turn back the clock to zero and start it over, which is what he's done. We would benefit from doing similar things in many parts of the world. In fact, we would benefit enormously if we simply admitted that we can't go on with the enormous sovereign debt that hangs over our heads. But nobody will do that. The point is, I think it had less to do with the Russians or the Chinese and simply to do with the anger and frustration that built up for a long time towards colonialism. And uh, the Africans said, enough. We should say, fine, good luck. And then we ought to question what we're doing in all of these places with military power. If you want to go into these places, by all means, look for business. Compete on the business level, but get out of this uh, militarized foreign policy. It's a, it's a France gearing up to do rescue mission for their spies, I mean citizens in Niger. France plans to evacuate hundreds of French and European citizens from Niger over the next 24 hours. Its foreign ministry held a crisis meeting in Paris earlier to coordinate the operation. That follows attacks on the French embassy in the capital Niamey and the closure of Niger's borders after President Mohamed Bazoum was deposed last week. The leaders of neighboring Burkina Faso and Mali have warned that any military intervention would be considered a declaration of war against them too. Victoria Gatenby reports. They're working around the clock at the foreign ministry in Paris. Diplomats preparing to evacuate French citizens from Niger after President Mohamed Bazoum was deposed last week. We refuse to apply these illegal, illegitimate and inhumane sanctions against the people of Niger. We warn that any military intervention against Niger will be considered as a declaration of war against Burkina Faso and Mali. Before the coup, Niger was an important ally of the West in the fight against armed groups linked to Al-Qaeda in the Sahel. It's also one of the world's biggest producers of uranium, which fuels nuclear power stations. Niger produced more than 2,000 tons of high-grade uranium last year. That's 5% of global output. France is heavily reliant on nuclear energy. Niger supplies an estimated 15% of uranium for French nuclear power stations. The French government says that it has two years' worth of uranium stocks. Some analysts say Western powers are only interested in Niger's natural resources. It's very worrisome, and I think all Africans must be very worried or concerned that France is making itself or has made itself a former colonial power, a kingmaker in Africa, and chooses to protect its interests, even if that means removing African leaders. The leaders of the coup have announced the suspension of uranium exports to France and other European countries and are warning the West and ECOWAS not to order a military intervention. Victoria Gatenby, Al Jazeera. See fam, you see what's going on? Now the wicked is being pushed out of Africa. 
Now we're gonna see what these African leaders gonna do, family. We out here in America, we're gonna see what these African um these leaders, these 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 leaders that supposed to be about Africa are gonna be about it. Is they all about mouth, or they all about power, or they all about the people? If they not all about the people, fam, we need to get rid of. We don't need no leaders in Africa all about individuality, all about trying to get power hungry, and not all about the people in Africa. If it's not about Africa and its people, they need to be out of leadership. Because, like the Bible said, it's a season and a time. It's a time to bring back Africa to the state that it once was before the Caucasian man interrupted. Let's analyze. Breaking news. Biden administration court trying to sabotage African countries attending the Russia-Africa summit. All right, let's uh, take you here now. The Kremlin has accused the West and in particular the United States of trying to sabotage the Russia-Africa summit that will take place in St. Petersburg later this week by pressuring uh, African countries not to take part. 49 African delegations have uh, confirmed their participation, around half of whom will be represented by the heads of state or government. President Vladimir Putin is is expected to hold intensive one-on-one talks with individual African leaders focusing on everything from trade to security, arms deals and grain supplies. For now, we are joined by correspondent Desha Chenishova in Moscow. Desha, thank you so much for your time. Before we talk about what is likely to be discussed come Thursday, you know, just give us more in terms of the Kremlin and what it is accusing, you know, the West, you know, of doing, especially uh, and as we speak about, you know, sabotaging the event, just what are they saying, particularly the U.S.? Well, indeed, the Kremlin has long been saying that the African countries have long been under pressure from the West. And with regard to the summit that will be taking place in St. Petersburg, the Kremlin says that the Western countries have been trying to sabotage the summit by pressuring those African countries not to attend this large-scale event, while Russia has sent the invitations to every head of state of the African continent, uh, suggesting that Russia wants to strengthen its relationship with all the states there. But Russia is saying that the Western countries... Um, particularly uh, the the United States, have been trying to make sure that those countries are not attending this event. Thus, there is no prospect for tighter cooperation between Russia and those states. And uh, the Kremlin spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, said that, in essence, they do not accept the sovereign right of the African states to independently determine their partners for cooperation and mutual interaction in various fields. So that has been the conclusion that the Russian uh, presidential spokesperson uh, has made. Definitely, Russia wants to have the equal partnership with African countries while it is suggesting that with the Western countries it is impossible because the Western countries are trying to dictate their terms for those African states. So that's the message that the Kremlin has been saying for uh, months now and of course that has been exacerbated closer to the time of the summit while Russia insists that those countries will still be coming to Russia and the isolation as it has been described by the Western countries of Russia has failed. 
Yeah, uh, you know, so plenty on the agenda, as we know, over the next two days, uh, starting on a Thursday, uh, you know, during the, the summit. And of course, a lot um, has to be uh, spoken about, particularly from that first uh, uh, summit that we saw in 2019. We know, of course, that the grain supplies will be top of the agenda, uh, you know, in light of the food security question. Just talk to us about what else will be, um, you know, deliberated on. Well, certainly we have heard uh, from Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs suggesting that everything will be discussed, as you have said, various fields. And we are expecting the political declaration to be signed uh, by these sides participating in this event. Now, when it comes to this uh, declaration, we understand these, there will also be the plan of joint actions for the prospect of 2023-2026. And uh, there will be sectoral documents signed in several areas. That is the fight against terrorism, the non-deployment of weapons in space as well as the fight uh, uh, for uh, the security in international information area. What we understand Moscow is saying, it wants to make sure that those African countries and Russia manage to build the new type of relations based on those documents that will be uh, taken uh, in St. Petersburg. The new type is where there is the multipolarity, where there is no country that will be dictating its terms. Again, Russia is referring to the Western countries and particularly to the United States. So we understand there will be a number of bilateral documents, also the documents uh, for all the participants. And uh, certainly the issue of grain is expected to top the agenda. And with regard to that, we understand that Moscow will be seeking to try to discuss new logistics for finding new routes for the supplies of Russian grain to those African countries, as well as the Russian fertilizers. But then again, Moscow is stressing that the relations in terms of the supplies from Russia to those African countries is not limited just to grain and fertilizers. There are other issues and other products that Russia could be supplying to those states. So all of those issues will be discussed because remember there has been little progress made when it comes to the implementation of the UN-Russia memorandum of the Black Sea Grain Initiative and nothing has been done to unblock the Russian agriculture exports to the international market. So they are indeed complicated. But Moscow says it is finding the ways. Yes, they are complicated. It takes a lot of time. But eventually, Moscow manages to supply its products to those international markets and particularly to the African countries. So a lot on the agenda and certainly we're expecting to have some certain results. Thank See, I hope the mindset of the leaders of Africa is not going with no crafty council. First thing on the agenda, bring Africa back like it once was. That's the whole agenda. You shouldn't be able to have other people in other countries coming stealing all your minerals and you ain't got food to feed your people in Africa. I don't even know the mindset of the leaders. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know how they heartbeat. They can sit up here and talk all that strong talk. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, it's the gritty nitty. So we as common men and common women of Africa make Africa one nation for the people and by the people not having these hungry, um, power hungry, or, you know, evil, wicked men out here leading y'all into a disparity. 
Look at it now. Look at it now. And y'all got leaders. Your leaders are trying to be so much of a handkerchief Negro that they don't even know who they are. All that land, all them minerals that the world need, and the world taking it, and the world taking all your minerals out and giving y'all crumbs to the table. So the main thing in your mindset when you go out here dealing with the Europeans and other people that's not in the nation on the continent or don't belong in that land, the land of Africa must be free. That's the number one point. The land of Africa must be free. Borders, colonialism, and all that stuff gotta go before y'all even start signing contracts, man. Making agreements. How can you make an agreement and you wounded? How can you make an agreement and you discombobulated? How can you make an agreement and you ain't even on the you ain't even on the, the strong force to make power move? You got all these resources that all these countries going to need and want. And y'all don't know how to direct it because y'all on that colonialism, white supremacy. All of us cousins out there, we all can folk. But when colonialism and, and, and France and all them other people went up there and divided y'all country and put all these evil thoughts and evil ways in y'all and y'all went for it. The earth is given to the hands of the wicked. And the most high showing y'all through this and through this. That's why I'm putting it out. Because I said the earth is given to the hands of the wicked. And we seeing all these wicked European nations coming over here. Destroying the, the, the life and the family of the world. We all human. All of us are human. Hue. Me color man other than the Caucasian man or the family of this world. And without this world, we cannot be family. So how are we going to allow a couple of individuals to come and destroy all the families of the world? And then you got other people want to ride with evil, but the evil ain't going to do nothing. What did evil, evil been in here for 400 years. Evil been out here for 400 years. And what good did evil do good? Name me one thing good that evil did that was good. I can name a couple of. To allow you to see who's the wicked one and allow you to see that the prophecy must be fulfilled. Let's analyze. The Brits did not end slavery on any form of moral ground. It was all because of greed. Now listen closely. Brits ended slavery because of two main factors. The first being the successful slave revolts in the Caribbean, which saw the death of thousands of white human trafficking plantation owners. 
Human trafficking, aka slavery, no longer had its allure in Britain when potential human traffickers realised that they would be travelling thousands of miles to places that they would be outnumbered and ultimately murdered by victims of the slave trade. Brits back in England saw what happened to their family members that came back home from the Caribbean and were afraid because their family members were maimed, scalped and oftentimes dead on arrival because they were brutally injured in these colonies and had to escape on ships, but eventually died at sea due to lack of urgent medical attention. This led to the Brits having to make a decision. Either we end up being overtaken by our European neighbours as the up-and-coming global power due to losing our colonies, or we put the plan we have of starting the industrialization process into play and destroy our neighbours' chances of taking us over. Guess which option they took? Which leads to the second reason, which is the hasty implementation of the Industrial Revolution due to a high turnover of not only plantation overseers, but also navy men that would often be killed in rebellions in the Caribbean. The British wanted to thwart the edge the Spanish, Dutch, French and Portuguese would have had by trafficking humans because not all that glittered in Europe was stolen gold. You see, Europeans were enemies that often begrudged, hated and even killed each other while salivating over each other's stolen goods and to be quite frank, the Brits really couldn't keep up with the other colonial human traffickers so they devised a plan to destroy their competitors by hastily. Implementing industrialization so they could convince the bankers such as the Rothschild and Orsini families to fund the assembly line instead of voyages from Africa to the New World because of the high turnover of the human trafficking trade. They also wanted the insurance companies to insure the machines against fires and arson committed by non-abolitionists that wanted the slave trade to continue instead of insuring machinery. It goes deeper than this, but for now, Whenever they tell you they British stopped slavery, remember that it was because they were greedy cowards that couldn't find anyone brave enough to continue human trafficking from Africa to their colonies in the West Indies. Now fam, you hear what he said about the British. And they were trying to hang out, trying to compete with the other European Caucasian man. Because you hear how wicked the Caucasian man is. They go out here and kill the people that look like them. And then and then go celebrate and have a party and everything. So this is what they do. This is how. This is the mindset that they have. I, I, I haven't seen in history yet that. Only time I seen that the Caucasian man came together as one nation is when they put um, our people in, uh, in slavery. But other than that, they was fighting against each other, killing each other, and all that other stuff. Like my man said, when they got tired of killing each other and know it was somebody else to kill other than each other, they make a man to say, let's go kill Eve and steal their resources. This is the mindset of what they have. European nation is for European, only for European. You know what I'm saying? Not for nobody else, but the wickedness of European. The UN, the wickedness of European. But we don't want to see that. Let's analyze. Breaking news. Now we know why Nigeria was so eager to invade Niger on behalf of France. Pay close attention. We are in the process of building a pipeline, a gas pipeline from here uh, 
through Algeria, targeting the European market. Uh, we are also uh, building a, a pipeline uh, from the West African gas pipeline to Morocco, also targeting Europe. Uh, so what the what uh, the Russian and Ukraine crisis has created is additional market for our gas. He says Nigeria can make up for supply shortfalls for many European countries, but will need more of their investments to speed up delivery. Global prices of gas have soared in the wake of the war in Ukraine, with Europe accusing Russia of waging an economic war. Nigerian officials say many European investors who've been pulling out investments in fossil fuels here are slowly coming back. The country has proven reserves of 206 trillion cubic feet of gas. Now it's aiming to triple that in eight years as interest in crude oil is waning. For decades, oil companies operating here treated gas as a nuisance, capping or flaring it. As the rest of the world struggles with high prices and shortages, Nigeria burns 30% of its gas every year, a resource it could be capitalizing on as developed economies look for alternatives to Russian supplies. Industry analysts say the current global gas supply challenges are an opportunity to grow the sector. I think we should be talking a lot more about you know, increasing the LNG um, uh, LNG opportunities that we have, I, 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 you know, than really talking about this pipe. But that, that, that seems to be what government seems to focus on. But the biggest challenge for Nigeria is funding. It's hoping the conflict in Ukraine could give many countries a reason to rethink their investments in gas as a transition fuel to cleaner energy. Ahmed Idris. See, y'all, you see how Nigeria is big. They're begging the Caucasian man for money to build all these things. Now, peep game like this, y'all. Now, see, I see they always try, uh, uh, they trying to push this oil thing, this oil thing, this oil thing, because everything, cars run on um, oil and, and all that, diesel fuel and all that. But the game getting ready to change, though. They went, see the Caucasian man been stopping this, but if there were some strong people and strong leaders in Africa, they got men that making cars out of water, running. Why? Why are you want to go into the old ways of the tradition of oil, and you can make cars making out of water and designing it? And you got this guy over here making a big old box full of water, making its own water, fresh water. Where is the mindset that you always begging your enemies instead of going in, in amongst yourself, amongst your people and pull out a great gift? See, y'all don't have leaders like that. Y'all don't have the mindset like that. I told you most of these African guys want to be handkerchief Negroes, y'all. They want to dress like the white man. They want to talk like the white man. And they want to do business like the white man. And look what it is. And you already heard through all my episodes that how the America go out here and push other countries to do something. And then when other countries fall back, 
and into a disaster, they sit back and say, oh, that's y'all fault. Y'all shouldn't even listen to us. Y'all did what y'all want to do. That's all our hands off this. We ain't got nothing to do with that. But they push the narratives and push off. That's what a bully do, man. That's what a bully do. Oh, there you go, Faye. You anti-America. You anti-America. Check this out, partner. America was anti-me when my forefathers hit here on this land. So, if you don't like the truth, and the truth hurts, that's your problem. Let's analyze. Deadline arrives, but Niger remains unfazed by Western-led ECOWAS and their threats to reinstall puppet president or else. This demonstrator says he believes France is behind the Economic Community of West Africa, or ECOWAS, and want to attack the country. Another demonstrator says that, quote, the people of Niger have understood that these imperialists want our demise. The junta has said it will not cave in to external pressure to stand down. The July 26th power grab is the seventh coup in West and Central Africa in three years. It has rocked the Western Sahel region. Defense chiefs of the ECOWAS agreed on military action, including when and where to strike, if the detained president, Mohamed Bazoum, was not released and reinstated by Sunday. ECOWAS did not respond to a request for comment on what its next steps would be, or when exactly on Sunday its deadline expires. The bloc's military pledge has triggered fears of further conflict in a region already battling a deadly Islamist insurgency. Breaking news. See, this is what, you know, see, France is on its heels, y'all. France is is in that boat about to, about to sink. Where's that boat that was sinking? With all them people was in there, whatever the name of that damn boat was. That's how they sinking. That's how they nation sinking. And I told you, France and the United States with the same people, and then France wanted to go into to uh, wanted Africa to go to the meet and trying to uh, join BRICS. Now the devil is showing you that France is the devil. France doing all this. Now France up here with their crafty council getting some old handkerchief ass Negro to go against the grain and not free Africa bring Africa back to what it once was. See, these are the people that y'all need to be, Africa need to be. But none of y'all, half of y'all ain't got no heart, man. This should be for the children. Start. And if they ain't doing right, you know, the Bible says a season. So it's a season to rebuild Africa. So the people who's not involved in rebuilding and refreshing and renewing Africa should be out the way. And I understand how y'all put leaders up in there that's not for the people. That's the mindset that y'all have in colonialism, white supremacy, and KKK. 
Y'all think like the Caucasian man, and the Caucasian man draw y'all a rap line, and y'all go for it. But the mindset y'all got to realize is how he conquered our land. We were still throwing arrows, and these niggas had guns. Because they couldn't beat us strong arm, strong arm. Now they had to go get these guns, and then they wiped us out with these guns. Now we got guns, but they might got more guns. But hey, the earth is given to the hands of the wicked. Chilling the world, I stay tuned to the Fame Podcast. It's the hottest message out there. When I'm home, chilling, I'm always tuned in to Fame. He has the hottest podcast out there. Go listen. Very informative. When I'm home, chillin', I'm always tuned in to Fade. He has the hottest podcast out here. When I'm home, chillin' the world, I stay tuned to the Fade podcast. It's the hottest message out there. its last move in the chip war. This move was to force or perhaps coax the Netherlands to totally ban lithography machine exports to China. But when that happened, China intelligently dissolved the situation since it was already making its own domestic lithography machines. Yet China could not let that pass without retaliation. It's rational for China to ask why the Netherlands is helping the US and becoming liable for catastrophes. Well, no matter what's the case, China retaliated making the Netherlands suffer by bottlenecking its market share. Netherlands complained to the U.S. But something interesting happened. The U.S. said that the Netherlands' decision of halting lithography machine sales to China was its own. This made it see how hypocritical the U.S. can be. So, how cracks in the trilateral treaty against China are appearing? 
How the Netherlands is planning to take revenge on the U.S.? Believe us, what's happening now was never expected by the U.S. Welcome back to another exciting episode of our channel. Innovation Diary brings you China's innovation stories, projects, and growing influence in different parts of the world. If you are new to the channel and enjoy learning about fast-paced modernity, especially China's development and growing power, you will definitely find our videos intriguing. In this video, we will explain how the U.S. played with the Netherlands, made it a scapegoat, and how its alliance in the chip war is near breaking point. Let's get started. The United States wanted to play cleverly with China. It didn't want to completely limit China from having chips to develop average products like smartphones and computers. Rather, it wanted to suppress its progress and keep it checked. Since AI is on the rise, countries are struggling to get cutting-edge chips, which will be used to train that AI. Now, if a country has AI power, it will dominate the future. You can guess which country might have engaged in the grandiosity to think that it's the sole caretaker of the world. Yes, the United States. Therefore, it decided to only allow average chips to go to China, which cannot be used for AI training. But that was not it. Neither did it want China to have the technology to produce the high-end chips. In other words, restrictions on lithography machine export, which are used to produce chips, had to be put in. But interestingly, the U.S. does not make these lithography machines. Then how could it exercise the restrictions? Well, as you can guess, various pawns appeared to be used in this conflict. One of them was the Netherlands and its company, ASML, which manufactures the latest cutting-edge lithography machines. With just a single order from the U.S., it announced it will stop its extreme ultraviolet lithography machine and equipment sales to China. In return, perhaps the Netherlands expected undying loyalty from the U.S., something which is in scarcity. Earlier, only lithography machines were restricted, but after the 30th of June 2023, equipment was also added to the list. Well, China had already calculated that and started stockpiling equipment. Now. China is using them to manufacture its own domestic lithography machines capable of producing 28 nanometer chips. But China wanted to make an example out of the Netherlands. Hence, the situation took a tumultuous turn as China responded in kind, sparking a series of escalating actions. However, true to its cunning nature, the United States shifted the blame, pointing fingers and utilizing its media machinery to proclaim that the ban on exporting crucial lithography machines was solely a decision made by the Netherlands. This is nothing short of making the Netherlands a convenient scapegoat for a situation orchestrated by none other than the U.S. But let's dissect what actually happened. When the U.S. found that its attempts to manipulate chip regulations were falling short, it altered its tactics. It craftily forged a trilateral agreement involving Japan and the Netherlands, ostensibly aimed at controlling semiconductor manufacturing equipment. This so-called partnership was in fact a sinister strategy to hinder China's semiconductor industry development. But nobody knew that this trilateral treaty would backfire, making the Netherlands and Japan pay the heavy cost while China would go unharmed. It's because Japan and Netherlands were the main beneficiaries of the chip exports. Yet the U.S. manipulated them to accept the trilateral treaty. It's as if a non-oil producing country manipulates Saudi Arabia to stop selling oil and making money. And Saudi Arabia, without thinking, accepts the treaty and later complains that it's losing money. The Netherlands and Japan did the same. Before we continue further, tell us. The demand for ASML's lithography machines stems from the global hunger for semiconductor production. Notably, ASML had intentions to provide China with a substantial number of these machines, 
amounting to an estimated sales value of 860 billion renminbi. However, this noble intent was jeopardized by a restrictive agreement orchestrated between the Netherlands and the United States. Amidst this labyrinth of deception, the attitude of Biden took an abrupt pivot. He audaciously declared that the prohibition on exporting lithography machines was solely the Netherlands' decision. The Netherlands, in response, lamented their mistaken trust, recognizing that they had been deceived. Herein lies the catch. ASML's lithography machines, especially the top-tier EUV lithography machines, are shackled by strict controls imposed by the United States and the Netherlands. A few years back, the U.S. imposed an export ban on these very machines. Even ASML's attempts to sell these machines to Chinese companies had to be abandoned due to these coercive restrictions. Or ASML needed a license to sell these machines, which will be provided by the U.S. Can you believe how companies accepted being shackled? Now they are complaining that they were shackled despite wearing themselves. Adding to the woes from September 1st, the Netherlands plans to roll out an export licensing system for high-end deep ultraviolet lithography machines. The worst case scenario that ASML diligently sought to escape has now occurred. Despite their persistent warnings to the U.S. government about the detrimental impact on the global chip supply chain, the U.S. arrogantly meddled in the Netherlands' sovereign trade policies. This export ban in no uncertain terms has dealt a severe blow to ASML, primarily manifesting as a drastic plummet in sales. It's a blatant example of political maneuvering that has left the Netherlands to bear the brunt while the U.S. conveniently washes its hands of the aftermath. China has placed lithography machine orders to ASML, which have to be supplied at all costs. Yet the agreement between the U.S. and the Netherlands restricts ASML from supplying. If the trilateral agreement is to be respected, so should the agreement between China and ASML. But if there's a delay in getting these machines, it could besmirch ASML's reputation in the industry. Not only China, but other buyers will stop placing orders as they know ASML is more like a U.S. hired gun. This could lead to orders being canceled or postponed, causing a lot of trouble in the production process. Other companies might take advantage of this situation, and ASML's customers might start using machines from other places, hurting ASML's business. Now let's talk about who's really behind all this trouble for ASML. It's none other than the United States, pulling the strings behind the scenes. If we think logically, it's the United States that pressured the Netherlands into agreeing to these strict rules. But here's the twist. The U.S. is making it seem like it's all the Netherlands' decision. They are even saying that the ban on exporting these machines is solely the Netherlands' choice. This tricky move has left the Netherlands feeling fooled and taken advantage of. The Netherlands should have realized by now that the United States doesn't really care about what's best for ASML. They have been interfering with the Netherlands' trade plans and stopping ASML from selling to China. This hasn't helped the Netherlands at all. Instead, it only made the United States stronger and limited the growth of other countries. Unfortunately, the Netherlands is now caught up in this tricky situation created by the United States. There's still a chance for the Netherlands to fix things if they can change their rules about selling these advanced machines by September 1st. This could help them avoid making things worse. Perhaps now, ASML is thinking of punishing the US and the Netherlands itself. It's because the governments did not care about ASML's revenue. So why should it care about agreements? It's expected that ASML will continue to supply its extreme ultraviolet lithography machine to China, even if it has to go against the US. Its CEO already said that access to China is essential for ASML. 
Let's peel back the layers of this grand play. Yes, the US, Japan, and the Netherlands did a trilateral agreement. On the surface, they are painting a picture of harmony, striking deals on those advanced chip gadgets. But that's not the reality. It's what they want the world to see. If we dig deeper, we find each player has a card up their sleeve, a hidden agenda bubbling under the surface. And what's the underhanded deal brewing in the Netherlands camp? Well, it's all about the extreme ultraviolet lithography machine and equipment supplied to China. However, this will not be an open deal. ASML will supply not only extreme ultraviolet lithography, but also deep ultraviolet lithography machines as well. Yet the US won't know this. And when China will develop a fleet of lithography machines by reverse engineering the ones provided by ASML, the US will be in shock. You see, if the US betrayed the Netherlands, the same is ready for the US as well. ASML is brewing a recipe that will rattle the entire US chip policy against the US. The chip war was initiated by the US on China. However, the pawns were the US allies like South Korea and their companies like Samsung. Without having any stakes in the war, the US made a master plan to use South Korea, Japan, and the Netherlands. If it wins the war, it will benefit the US. But if it loses it, the private foreign companies will pay the heavy cost. What Samsung did make it look quite imbecile in the whole war. It should have stayed away, but accepted to be a US plaything. And the US knows how to exploit those who themselves want to be exploited. As of now, Samsung has faced the worst losses since the market crash of 2008. But interestingly, whatever Samsung is losing is being gained by the US companies. So how did the US use South Korea and its company Samsung, the second largest chip maker, as its pawns? How is Samsung losing badly and near a collapse while the US companies are trying to live off its crumbs? Welcome back to another. In this video, we will explain how the US used its historic trick of using allies for its own benefit and how Samsung now wants China back. Let's get started. Once, Henry Kissinger, the mastermind of US foreign policy and most powerful Secretary of State, said that the US has no permanent friends or enemies, only interests. He, in a single line, summed up what the U.S. is and what makes it actually the very U.S. we all know. No matter how close an ally you become to the U.S., within the very next few seconds, you can be seen as an enemy on which waging a war is necessary. Yet countries have not learned from Henry Kissinger or the U.S. history, which is full of examples. Neither does the U.S. respect its allies, nor it cares what happens to them in the very missions which help the U.S. In the treacherous game of trade between China and the United States, an unexpected victim emerged, and it was none other than South Korea's leading company, Samsung. When the United States tightened its grip on chip exports to China, Samsung, foolishly considering itself an ally, was the first to feel the brunt of the blow. However, by cutting off its revenue from the Chinese market, Samsung's profits took a catastrophic drop, plunging by a staggering 96% in the first and second quarters of this year. The losses amounted to nearly 4.4 trillion Korean won, or 3.4 billion US dollars, marking the company's worst performance in 14 years. Samsung also reported that it's the worst losses it faced since the market crash of 2008. That's true because it had to bite the bullet and accept a total loss of 96% in its revenues. But why? Well, the only reason is that Samsung allied itself with the United States. Since the U.S. put restrictions on chip export to China, Samsung wanted to appear as the U.S.'s most trusted ally. 
Hence, it stopped chip sales to China, the most devastating decision any private company can ever make. Even though the U.S. gave exemptions to Samsung to continue selling to China, that made Samsung even more excited. Instead of availing that, Samsung chose to cut off chip sales to China. What happened next can be guessed. Since China was the biggest market for Samsung, it had to accept a decline in revenues and market sales. But interestingly, the United States allowed its own chip companies to swoop in and fill the void left by Samsung's retreat. You see, that's how the U.S. exploits its allies. However, this cannot be done if the ally does not allow it, which in this case is Samsung, which allowed itself to be abused. Samsung was leaving a market share in China, which the U.S. chip companies started covering. This shocking turn of events left South Korea in disbelief, and its media fiercely criticized the United States for its betrayal. Nevertheless, the destructive recipe was about to end this way. Willingly, Samsung accepted to leave China's market, make China its enemy, and leave open space for U.S. companies. And when China leaves a company, it finds no place in the global market. Hence, in response, Samsung announced it would reduce its production of storage chips, hoping the market would consume existing inventory, stabilize prices, and avert further losses. Yet such a move also exposed Samsung's passivity and helplessness in the face of this crisis. The head of Samsung's marketing lamented in an interview with South Korean media that chip exports to China once accounted for 60% of Samsung's revenue. The hasty response of South Korea to the U.S. restrictions resulted in Samsung losing its crucial Chinese market. The current situation arose from blind allegiance to the United States, while the U.S. exploited the gap left by Samsung. Many think the U.S. started the chip war so all foreign chip companies could be sidelined and its companies could re-enter China with a fresh start. Isn't it ironic that U.S. companies are entering China and the chip war was initiated by the U.S. itself? While companies like Samsung are pocketing the ultimate losses, American companies like Micron and Western Digital remained unaffected in their operations in China. Micron, for example, recorded a revenue of 3.3 billion U.S. dollars in China in 2022, constituting 25% of its overall revenue and solidifying China as its second largest market. Shockingly, even shortly after Samsung's withdrawal from the Chinese market, Micron immediately announced an additional investment of 4.3 billion yuan in China, aiming to build storage chip packaging equipment in Xi'an. This blatant display of betrayal by the United States left the South Korean media fuming with anger. But they found themselves powerless to change the course of events. For Samsung, the nightmare appears to be far from over. It's because, despite closing all its factories in China, Samsung's plan to establish production bases in India and Vietnam has proven futile due to its own set of problems. Now, Samsung is compelled to make a humbling decision to return to China and build factories there. This decision serves as a harsh reflection on their previous investment choices. It has become apparent to Samsung that establishing a production base in China not only better caters to local market demand, but also facilitates more effective management. Recent reports reveal that Samsung is making a bold and strategic move by investing millions of dollars in a new factory in China, set to become one of its largest manufacturing centers in the country. This suggests that now after losing a lot, Samsung is coming back on track. China, as one of the world's largest consumer markets, presents immense development potential and boasts high-quality consumer demand. Samsung's decision not only reflects its unwavering confidence in the Chinese market, but also reveals its concerns and disappointment with the markets in India and Vietnam. 
Samsung's ambitious investment plan in India aimed to transform its factories into leading centers for smartphone and home appliance manufacturing overseas. However, after several years, it encountered significant challenges and pressures in India. The primary hurdle lies in the lack of a robust industrial chain, leading to high costs and inefficiency in production. Moreover, the low cultural level of local workers and the complexities of different state cultures hinder Samsung's efforts to scale up factory production in India. Also, Samsung has failed to get incentives from India, and the dialogue for further cooperation is at breaking point. Vietnam, once seen as another viable option for Samsung, now presents its own set of issues. Labor and resource shortages, along with reports of factories shutting down for consecutive days due to electricity shortages, have made companies like Foxconn and Samsung recognize the irreplaceable advantages of manufacturing in China. In fact, Vietnam's population is less than 100 million, even fewer than that of Guangdong province, highlighting its limitations as a production hub. In light of these intricate realities, Samsung and other companies are increasingly acknowledging the allure of the Chinese market. China's stability, robust industrial infrastructure, and skilled workforce are proving to be invaluable assets, attracting these companies back to the Chinese market. This move reaffirms China's position as a powerful player in the global manufacturing landscape, being the world's factory. In a notable incident back in 2021, Foxconn worked tirelessly, operating round the clock to ensure uninterrupted iPhone production capacity. It turned out that the key to Foxconn's triumph in handling the additional order was China's well-established industrial chain and efficient logistics network. This unmistakable display of efficiency shatters the myth that China's manufacturing costs are inherently higher than those of India and Vietnam. On the contrary, Chinese manufacturing boasts superior quality and more reliable production capacity, particularly evident in recent times when compared to the limitations witnessed in India, Vietnam, and elsewhere. Thus, it's hardly surprising that Samsung, having invested heavily in India and Vietnam for years, is now rumored to be making a return to China. Even Foxconn and Apple, which once expanded extensively in India, seem to have regretted their choices. Samsung's misguided attitude towards the Chinese market reveals a grave underestimation of China's pivotal role in the entire chip industry. Naively believing that they could retain their dominance in shipment rankings even after leaving the Chinese market, they failed to grasp that China serves as the very lifeline of the entire chip. The chip war was initiated. See y'all, you see how things rolling? You see how things getting on? Hmm. So fade, fade. Yeah, what man, what? So, um. What you think about that boat river thing that you've been seeing on the internet and all that? How you feel about it? <laughs> you know, a lot of people commenting on it. And they already said they narrative. And the only thing I can say is some of y'all fooled me. Y'all got hard. But some most of them people down there in, in New York, man screaming for his life, and all they could do is stand there and look and watch a man die in their face. But you know, you know about these country boys, 
I'm my brother's keeper. That's what we say down south. The real, the real, the real boys. We already know. We ain't gonna let that happen down there, down south. So, um, let's analyze. Give me the blunt, man. If you gonna give it to me, give me the blunt. Why you got to aggravate somebody, man? <laughs> We're at a pivotal point in history. I'm sure many of you sense that. Um, and uh, it's it's not to be understated. Um, we're undergoing such a transition in the world. Um, many have compared the coming events to like the parting of the Red Sea. Well, this is far beyond that. The scope is much bigger. It covers the entire planet. As we're nearing um, a point of the uh, collapse. And they announced that in the last 12 months, 200 billion in deposits have left Chase Bank. This is huge, folks. We have the makings of, of a banking apocalypse unlike anything we've ever seen in our lives. The military's been on mass movement throughout the United States. There have been heavily uh, movements in 27 states. There's more coming. Uh, we've even seen it here locally. Um, they they were literally driving a tank down the main drag here in town. It was unbelievable. So uh, a lot of choppers going overhead, military aircraft. Everybody's like, what's going on? Well, we're, we're actually in the midst of the roundup, and they're kind of doing this strategically um, because they can't, it, this isn't something you can do in one day. It's just too big for that. So they're doing it in, in pieces. And what we're beginning to hear reports of is that internet outages are happening in some areas for an hour, for two hours, or three hours, and it comes back on. Well, this, these dark periods are so that they can do their uh, stuff that they need to do in terms of taking these people into custody and can stop their communications with any of the outside uh, people. So you're going to continue to hear of this. Um, you will probably begin to hear of testing of the emergency broadcast system in various areas. There was actually some testing going on in Florida today um, of the EBS. This is all preparation for the EBS that goes nationwide um, when we get to that point. So Germany is on the of just a trigger edge of complete financial collapse. They're not saying anything about this, but they are in big trouble. Uh, Deutsche Bank, big trouble. When this begins to hit, the first thing that will happen is all credit will freeze up. But what does that mean? I mean, suddenly your plastic doesn't work anymore. We could possibly hit the point of the wealth transfer beginning this month. I realize there's only 11 days left, it's not a lot of time, but at the movement that this is moving in terms of, of activity and what's being exposed, uh, things could move very rapidly. What I do expect in terms of, of uh, some of the historical assets and revaluation currencies is that some of that will take place during the quiet time. 
In other words, when the EBS happens, there's going to be stay in your homes. There's going to be 10 days of communication blackout, or at least that's what we're hearing. And uh, there could be during that time, even appointments being made and transactions being done very quietly in the background. This will be all with heavy NDAs. Um, no one's supposed to talk about their transactions, talk about where they get their money or anything like this. It's going to take some time to work through that. I think between now and let's say into September or maybe late September, so the next two months plus, um, we could be seeing those things take place in the background. I think by the time we get into late September, it's going to be publicly in the face of everyone, hey, there's, there's a financial change occurring here. Some of the things that uh, we've been seeing over the last week here is train derailments continuing. We've had uh, three additional, quite nasty ones, uh, spilling chemicals and stuff. The um, the deep state has been using trains to move, um, shall we shall we say, cargo that they shouldn't be moving, and so there's. Some of these are having to be initiated, uh, unfortunately, uh, to stop the movements of this stuff. And, and others is, is the deep state trying to um, cause a catastrophe, such as chemicals in the water, in the ground, you know, you know something of this nature that they can distract the public with uh, some new catastrophe while they uh, carry on what they're doing. So these things are all evidences of the uh, war that were underway here and, and that the good guys are winning. I want you guys to realize we're winning every day now. There are battles being won and you should not be discouraged. In fact, you should be more excited than ever right now because there's nothing they can do to stop the impending justice. It's barreling down on them like a freight train and they don't know how to stop it. But it's uh, it's exciting that we're getting to this point that we've gotten. This was kind of a top-down thing. They had to work their way down. But now we're getting into those middle people, those lower-level deep staters. Um, by the time we get to EBS, um, there won't be any big names to round up. They're, they'll, they've already been handled, okay? So that'll be that'll be good news because I think when people find out, when things are revealed and they realize what kind of criminality was going on, what kind of things were happening, and especially the tie-in with the with the children and what was going on with that, um, they're going to be angry. And so, how do you calm how do you calm the masses down that are angry? Well, you begin tribunals and you begin justice so that uh, they feel that. Uh, uh, it's been been taken care of, so I, we can expect that to come. What makes you think your idea of justice is everybody's idea of justice? You know, you know, it's the common man that will sit down and judge him. You put his case in front of the common man and common woman and let them judge. You see all the the little flam flam they trying to hold authority or hold little flicks or hold little what they call it, crafty counseling. It's a shame, man. You got all these wordplay that they saying, and we gonna get these, and we gonna do this, and we go, man, these people been doing all this time, and you act like you ain't know nothing about it. 
And then when a little when a little soup come up, because I'm asking, I'm putting it out there. I don't, I don't still don't see no Caucasian on that same level of Mike Vick rage. Then they done killed all these people, innocent people, with this vaccine and all this other stuff. Where's the rage? What is the outcry? What? Why? I don't hear nothing because this is on y'all watch. Because the Bible says this is why y'all had to pay for y'all um, forefathers' of sin. See, we go through all this and all this just to pinpoint this, y'all. All this happening in the world because our forefathers didn't do what the Most High required us to do, man. That, that's the bottom line, man. That's straight the bottom line. If they was doing what they supposed to be doing, the situation right here wouldn't occur. That's the straight bottom line. And they didn't, so the Most High put us in the position. Check out this, y'all. Check out Lamentation 5. Remember, O Lord, what's come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. Our inheritance is churned to strangers. Our house is alienated. See, we don't even have our inheritance to rule the world. Who got our inheritance ruling the world? Well, Faye, oh, what you talking about? That don't mean nothing. They said the Caucasian man is the two Jewish, the two real Jewish person. They true. The Caucasian man is the true Jewish person. Jew, he called himself Jewish. Hmm. Let's read limitation. He says, Lamentation. We are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are, are as widows. We have drunken our water for money. Our wood is sold unto us. Our necks are under prosecution. We labor and, and have no rest. We has given the we has given the hands to the Egyptian and to the Assyrian to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers have sinned and are not, and we have borne their iniquity. See, Lamentation five, five and seven tell you that. Lamentation 5 and 7 tells you why we're in the same situation. Our fathers have sinned and not and are not, and we have been born into iniquity. Servants have ruled over us. There is none that done deliver us out of the, our hand. Ain't nobody deliver us out of the Caucasian man's hand. We still in there. So you couldn't say it's old time because in the old time they got out of it. Right? The Assyrians they got out of and all the others that, that our father. 
So the only captivity that we're not getting to, we're still in this captivity. Our fathers have sinned and are not, and we have borne their iniquities. Servants have ruled over us. There is none that do deliver us out of our hands. We gate our bread with the pearls of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. So if he's saying our skin is black, oh, that's a, that's a condition. But he said our skin is black because of our condition. What condition? Why is our skin black because of our condition? Because we was out there in the sun, out there burning up. Cotton, picking cotton all the time, burning up. Our skin, I'm at 10, y'all. Our skin is black like an oven because of of their terrible fainness. They it says they ravaged the women in Zion and the maids in the city of Judah. See, now this is telling you who they are. Come on now. They already told you who the people are. So it couldn't be the Caucasian Jewish man. It couldn't be the Egyptians. They are talking about us. Israel. Our skin is black upon there. They, they ravished the women in Zion. Who ravished the women and who ravished our women? Because you tell me, right, they talking about Judah, right? And we already know from the back of the Judah came from Israel. Israel is a black man. We know Abraham wasn't no Caucasian. We know everybody in the Bible is not a Caucasian. And this is this is the whopper, right? I'm on 12. I'm on 11. They ravaged the women in Zion and the maids in the city of Judah. Prince and prince are hanged up by their hands. Their face of elders were not honored. See, the elders, our elders were honored because they had wisdom and understanding and direction and guiding us and leading us. Now, they didn't have that no more. Our elders don't have that. We ain't got elders that hold honor like that. They took the young man to grind and the children fell under the wood. The elder has ceased from the gate, ceased from the gate, from watched out, from teaching y'all, from showing y'all what, what should y'all do and what y'all shouldn't do. The elders have ceased from the gate, that young men from their musk, the joy of our heart is ceased, our dance is turned into mourn. The crown the crown is falling from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. For this is for this our heart is faint. For these things our eyes are dim. Because of this mount of 
because the Mount of Zion, which is desolately desolated, the fox walk upon it. Thou, O Lord, remembers forever. Thou thorn from generation to generation. Wherefore doest thou forget us forever and forsake us so long uh, us a long time? Turn, turn thou unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our day as of old. But thou hast utter reject us. Thou art very worth against us. So you already know, he said, the curse of our forefathers from generation and generation and generation. And he said, no man will redeem you. So if it was the Caucasian man, if it was the Caucasian man, Jewish dude, where's the most high that redeemed him? Why he got the world? Why he owning banks, the movies, and, and jewelries and diamonds and all this other stuff? He got his own language. Own that everything. He is not struggling. His skin is not black. Hmm. This is what I tell y'all, fam. Africa, we all cousin, man. We got to get back into this family and the mindset so the most I can come and deliver us out of this mess we in. Our forefathers put us in this mess. And, and now we got to come out of this mess so that we can live in a righteous and harmony like it was set up to be. We got to all muscle up. But now, you got to realize you got to do your part, man. You got to do your part. The earth is given to the hands of the wicked. It covers the judges thereof. If it's not the Caucasian man, then tell me who it is and where they at. Can I try a little something? Can I make a little something? Can I keep a little something? 
Can I sing a little song? Can I try a little song? Can I make a little song? Can I keep a little song? Can I sing a little song? Can I try a little song? Can I make a little song? Can I keep a little song? Look at me, I ain't frightened. Roll off the clip, brother done flip. This a little tip before I hit you in your lip. Take a little chip, have your little nip. Before you get your ass ripped, singing like a ship. Is this a blip? Run around on a mad trip, fuck around and get your ass kicked with no kill. You're invisible to the naked eye. You look into the sky, ask guy why. Can I die? Dead dreams don't fly. Let me break it down to the new sound. I'm not playing around, I'm making much, much pound. Focus on my riches and I want it now. Say what you wanna say, believe what you wanna believe. Do what you wanna do, be who you wanna be. You ain't shit, that's how the world view you. Can I try a little something? Can I make a little something? Can I keep a little something? Can I save a little something? Can I try a little something? Can I make a little something? Can I keep a little something? Can I save a little something? Can I try a little something? Can I make a little something? Can I keep a little something? Look at me, I ain't frontin'. We want you to marinate on this. If you feel this, then you know what I'm talking about.